pray, shall we? May the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. How to flourish in life. We all want to know the answer to that, don't we? How to live with integrity. We all want to flourish, and Jesus wants us to flourish too. Remember how he said, I've come that you might have life, and that you might have it to the full. How do we do that? Daniel chapter 1 helps us a good deal about living with integrity. What does integrity mean? It means the whole person, the same right through, not hypocritical, not saying one thing and doing another, but having a consistent character. There's a verse in the Psalms which says this, unite my heart to fear thy name. That's the authorised version. The NIV and the NRSV translate it the same. Give me an undivided heart. In other words, wholeness of person right through in our minds, our hearts, our actions, our bodies, wholeness, oneness, undivided. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Now, the other day I went down to Guildford and um, I was doing a couple of little bits of shopping and I went into Ye Old Sweet Shop. Do you know that shop there in the friary? Children and grandchildren, they love it. You take them in there and, you know, before you know where you are, various five-pound notes disappear. <laughs> it's surrounded by sweets. It's Mr. Sims, Ye Old. It just goes, oh, you go from the station and you cross the road and you go through and it's there on the left, right, if you want to know where it is. Anyway, I said... I've come for some, one thing, wonder if you've got it. Do you know they didn't have it? <laughs> what I was looking for was a stick of rock, the sort of thing you buy at the seaside, you know, which has the words running through it, Sunny Guildford, um, or whatever. And um, the reason why I wanted it, and they asked me, they said, what do you want that for then? I said, well, I'm giving a talk, and uh, I want to have the words, uh, something with the words running right the way through, like... Um, God loves you. And they said, oh, oh, really? <laughs> anyway, the point about this stick of rock is that wherever you cut it or break it, it's the same right through. And that's like our lives should be, integrity. And Daniel was like that. His heart was true and consistent. And what a story we've got here. So do we have living integrity? Yes, we had that up there. Good. And um, it started in this, uh, the reign of Nebuchadnezzar in 605 BC was when Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem and he took the first wave of the captives, including Daniel and his three friends, to Babylon. Babylon, this great city where we know they were the hanging gardens of Babylon, though nobody really knows what they looked like. But a number of years ago, under all the earth, there was some uncovering of something of Babylon. And here we see it, the Ishtar Gate. Doesn't that look fantastic? And uh, if you go to the... Per you don't have to go to Iraq to see this. You can go to the Pergamon Museum in Berlin. Any of you been there? Yeah, a few of you. Good. 
And if you go there, you see the Ishtar Gate. And you go along this great corridor with it, and on the gate is decorated with lions. That should come up. Is the next slide. There we go. And other animals. I've only just given you this one. I didn't give you a lecture on the Ishtar Gate. Um, but, you know, this was built about 30 years after Daniel and his friends arrived in Jerusalem. And so some of them might well have been involved in helping to build it. And there were eight gates into Babylon, and about 200,000 people lived there. So it was a big city, really flourishing, and all that lot got covered over, only excavated in whenever it was by German archaeologists. So just as we took the Elgin marbles from Athens, the Germans took a lot of the Ishtar Gate to Berlin, and you can see it there, and it's a stunning sight. Uh, the art is magnificent. So it's 38 feet high, this gate, 38 feet high, and that was all covered over. So Daniel and his friends, they arrive in Babylon, and um, they are in this rather uh, opulent and yet hostile environment as exiles. And you know, we too, as Christians, we live in this 21st century, an environment where much of our Christian faith is undermined, it's opposed, it's ignored, it's ridiculed, it's seen as irrelevant by many, many people in the country. And what do we do? There's some lessons we can learn from this first chapter of Daniel. How in our society do we live with integrity? And I want to offer you some pointers from this story. The first one is to engage with the culture. You see, we're not to ignore how life is around us. We're not to become kind of isolated in a holy huddle. But we have to think through how do we relate into the culture. Now, quite a few years ago, when I was working with Prospect, Christian organization providing services for adults with learning disabilities, residential homes and day services, we were dependent for a lot of the income, as well as on charitable giving, as many care homes are today, on support from the state, from the social services of different authorities. And many of them had lots of questions about us, as they do today, to Christian care home providers of different kinds. Um, and they say, you know, why do you just employ Christians? Surely other people can do this work. Are you not going to um, kind of indoctrinate people? What about if you have a Muslim, you know, and so on. And had all these different questions, and we had to tussle with these and find a way through, which we did. But one, uh, I decided to have a, a conference of our senior staff and to look at these issues of how we relate to a secular culture, which is what Daniel talks about here, and how do we do that? So the person I got to come and give us a talk about this from biblical point of view was David Bracewell. And I've never forgotten how, what he said, and I think he did bring it out in some sermons here, that when we engage with the culture, we have a kind of ambivalent relationship it, with it, and we have to do two things. On the one hand, we have to connect with it, and secondly, we have to confront it. To connect with it and to confront it. And we find Daniel doing exactly that. 
not to be in a holy huddle and isolated from it, nor, on the other hand, to compromise our beliefs, our faith, our values, our standards, our understanding of what is right and wrong, and a desire to express Christian love to everyone, whoever they might be. Now, you see in this passage how Daniel connected, and his friends, connected with the culture. In verse 4, they were told here that they were taught the language and literature of the Babylonians. Someone was appointed to teach them that. And in verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. So they learned about the nature of the culture and the way of life expressed through language and literature, and probably art and so on, about what their society was like and what its values were and where their faith was. And they learned as much as they could about it. And then they were given new names in the endeavor to assimilate them to the culture. Daniel means God is my judge, Hananiah, the Lord shows grace, Mishael, who is like God, and Azariah, the Lord helps. All the Jewish names had the expression of God in them somewhere. And they were given four new names. I didn't pick this up, actually, till I started preparing for this. They were given four new names, which all have the name of a pagan god in them, a Babylonian god, Belteshazzar, Bel, protect his life, that's what that means, Shedrach, under the command of Ach, Achu, the moon god, under the command of the moon god, Meshach, who is like the moon god, like Aku, and Abednego, the servant of Nigo, or Nebo, the god of learning and writing. So they were all given names that reflected the culture and the faith of the people of Babylon to try and assimilate them. Of course, we give them the names. Do you remember as a children, we used to call them shake the bed, make the bed, and in the bed we go? Do you know that? <laughs> there we go. So there was a threat to their Jewish identity. But they confronted the culture. I mean, it's interesting in that chapter, those names are never used again. They are used later in the book. So there's some sort of ambivalence going on here. But they did confront the culture because, as we read, as Richard read, they didn't eat the food or drink the wine that was offered to them in abundance and with lovely flavours and all the best cooking of Babylon. Why not? They didn't want to defile themselves with food and drink that had previously been offered to the pagan gods. And to accept food from another's table was to put oneself under the protection of the host. So they didn't want to be defiled or compromise their beliefs. They wanted to assert that they were under the protection of God, Yahweh, and that they belonged to him and they looked to him to look after them and care for them. And that's what God did. And you see, we face similar choices, don't we? We face choices as when to connect and when to confront. But we do need to engage with the culture. And of course, what we do see sometimes is a complete loss of integrity in people's lives. And we see it perhaps in our own lives sometimes. But it's been writ large for us just this week, hasn't it? Here we go. I mean, headlines of the Times on Friday, the top Oxfam staff paid Haiti survivors for sex. Well, we've all heard the story on the news. And there are people in positions of trust and authority 
who've abused that and they've not lived out consistent lives with the values of Oxfam. We saw it again with Carillion. They're senior people awarding themselves huge pay rises while the pension funds go short. And with BHS as well, when that went into liquidation, didn't it? So these are writ large examples, but you will be able to think of other examples which are uh, from your own experience. We are to honour God and draw the line. Where do we draw the line? Is it about same-sex marriage or abortion or gambling? How do we honour God and our beliefs as Daniel did? Now, I'm not going to tell you all the answers to those questions because I don't know them. But you can work it out in your life groups or pods in other gatherings or thinking it through yourself. How are we true to the word of God while engaging with the culture? And there are some big issues there, really worthy of a seminar, actually, rather than just a short sermon. But let me sum it up like this, this part of it. Romans 12, 2-3 from J.B. Phillips. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mould, but let God remould your mind. Isn't that a brilliant translation? Think it out. And it's a good idea to think it out before you face some of the kind of issues that do arise. Think it out in advance. Know where you stand, as Daniel did and his friends. So, engage with the culture. Connect with it. Confront it. Second, and I'll deal more briefly with these, Foster consistent character. We are in the culture, but who are we in ourselves? At the very heart of integrity is identity, our identity, our character, my character as a person. And Daniel wanted to be true to himself, too true to the person God made him to be, true to his faith, true to God's word, True to God himself about the food offered to idols and the defilement that would arise if he ate it. But he didn't do it in a provocative way. He didn't sort of rigidly and say, no, no, I'm not eating that. He had great wisdom. He offered an alternative, which was creative and positive. So he wasn't obstructive. He said, look, why don't you just try this out? Let's live on vegetables and water for 10 days. How about that? So he was wise in how he handled what he felt he could not engage in. And there's a lesson for us there. So he didn't seek honour or personal gain, but he trusted God, and that must have been rooted in prayer. He must have been praying about this, because we are told later in Daniel, he prayed three times a day. So he'd have listened to God and said, Lord, what do I do about this? And he would have heard from God how to handle it, what to offer, and God would have assured him of his faithfulness. And you see, this was perhaps a relatively small thing, but there were going to be big tests for these four men as they went on. I mean, tests about worshipping this whacking great gold image, and if they didn't, they were put into the fiery furnace. About praying three times a day and Daniel was tetted, he was thrown into the lion's den. So there were big tests ahead, but this test was preparing them and strengthening them for what lay ahead, as well as it's being important in its own right. 
So for us, the value of prayer, the importance of obedience to God's word, living what we proclaim, practicing what we preach, being good examples. And many of you are doing that. Think of the food bank or Christians Against Poverty, working with homeless people, serving them, caring for them, and caring for all sorts of people, as many of you do, and living the life that God wants us to live. So living consistent lives, developing consistent character, is an important part of helping us to flourish and to live with integrity. So it's connecting with the culture, it's engaging with the culture, it is fostering consistent character. And thirdly, it's about valuing companionship. Daniel was not alone. He had three friends with him, and they were in it together. And what an encouragement that was to strengthen them, how they valued it. Shows the value of small groups, doesn't it? Of life groups, of pods, of serving with others in the various activities that you're involved in in, in St Saviour's and elsewhere. Having friends where you can share stories in these various settings, share experiences, seek God's help, seek help from one another. Times of hurt and testing come and you can receive help and prayer and care. And that really helps us to flourish. Jesus knew that. He had a small group, 12 disciples. He didn't send them out on their own. He sent them out two by two. In the early church, so often they were in pairs, weren't they, or trios. Paul and Silas, Paul and Timothy, Aquila and Priscilla. They faced issues, demands and challenges together. They could pray together and they would see God at work, as Daniel and his friends did. So if you feel you've got no one to do that with, do speak to someone, a life group leader, one of the leaders in the church, or somebody and find someone who can be a prayer partner, a friend for you. Because being open and honest together, sharing joys and sorrows is a great way to flourish, valuing companionship, and that helps to develop integrity because we can keep our eyes on one another, keep caring for one another, and especially when life is tough. And then you will flourish. What will you find? you will find that you are loving God, as Daniel did, that you are loving one another and being strengthened by that, and that you're making a difference, as Daniel did. You know, this story is a great illustration of that wonderful verse in Samuel, those who honour me, I will honour. God honoured Daniel as Daniel honoured him. It's true for Daniel. Do you notice that last verse? Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. The first year of King Cyrus was 539 BC. 60 years later, 66 years later, Daniel must have been a young man, so were these others when they went to Babylon. And for nearly 70 years, he was there at the king's side, a trusted senior person in the government of the day because he was a person of integrity. And early on in his life, he'd gone through this test in Daniel chapter 1. It's true for us, isn't it? I come back to my stick of rock. You know, let's imagine that um, in that stick of rock there are some words. It might be, those who honour me, I will honour. 
or it might be a promise. There may be some special promise that is, has meant a lot to you, and you want to put that in there, in that stick of rock. It may be one, I'll give you one, in case you can't think of one on, on the spur of the moment. I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews. You imagine those words right through that stick of rock. And whatever happens to you, a broken experience seems to shatter your life, there are the words. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you see? The integrity of God comes through. He is the one who keeps us, but he is the one who is faithful to his promises, faithful to you, his child. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That is what will enable us to live with integrity and our lives to flourish. Let's have a moment of quietness, shall we, before we come to communion. You may just want to reflect on perhaps a promise from God that's meant a lot to you, or on those last words, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And thank God and open your hearts to him.